Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Have you ever wondered about the women of Jerusalem who weep as Jesus is carrying his cross to Calvary and those strange cryptic words Jesus says to these women? Have you ever wondered about this? We contemplate this in the stations of the cross. We just heard about it in Luke's presentation of the Passion Narrative in this Palm Sunday liturgy reading. What is this all about? I want you to get into the scene. Picture this moment. Jesus has been condemned to death. He's given such a severe scourging. He is scourged so intensely that he can barely walk anymore. He, he starts to carry his cross, but he can go no further. And then the Roman soldiers do the unprecedented thing. They go grab some other man, a guy named Simon of Cyrene, and force him to carry Jesus's cross for him. That just doesn't happen. The condemned man is always supposed to carry his own cross to the execution site. The fact that the Romans break with that normal procedure and, and get someone else to do it shows us that Jesus is already almost dead before he even gets to Golgotha. And it's in the midst of this miserable situation for Jesus, walking on the way to Calvary, barely just holding it together, that the women of G Jerusalem, these women of Jerusalem, are there weeping. They're weeping and lamenting all that's happening to Jesus. And think about this incredible compassion they have for our Lord. And then Jesus responds to this compassion with these words. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. What is that all about? Uh, that doesn't seem to be a, a, a nice way to respond. You know, at first glance, you look at that, you say, Jesus, why don't you just say thank you? Why does he say these words? And then he goes on, he says, For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never suck. What is this all about? Blessed are the barren? Why is he talking about barrenness? That's supposed to be a curse. And he's saying barrenness is a blessing. Then he's talking, he goes on to say, Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if this is what they do with the when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What is he talking about here with mountains falling on people and green wood and dry wood? This seems very strange. And admittedly, from our 21st century perspective, I can understand this question. And I'm starting off our final podcast in this series on the seven last words of Christ with this topic because one of you presented this topic to me. You had this in your question. You emailed me this last week, and I want to respond to it. I thought it's a great way to kind of lead in to our last look at the last words. But uh, I want to take the question. This comes from uh, Pio, who's writing all the way from Bavaria in Germany. So thank you for your question, Pio. Uh, first of all, he just comments on this. He says, I'm writing from the Bavarian states of Germany. I want to thank God for using you, and thank you also for allowing yourself to be used to reach out to us in things concerning the Catholic faith. I've been so blessed and enriched by your podcast. On the last podcast titled Jesus Forsaken on the Cross, you made mention that we should let God know the particular trouble we're going through. For me personally, I always think he knows what I'm passing through, so I don't feel the push to tell him again Rather, I just tell my fellow men. But thank you for pointing me in the right direction. Yeah, thank you, Pia, for that comment on last week's podcast. I think that's true. You know, God's omniscient. He knows everything. He already knows all the troubles I'm going through. Why do I need to tell him about it? I'm not doing it so much to remind him. He already knows. 
but I'm doing it more for me. I need, I need to tell him. I need to express what's really going on to articulate, to, to put into words my troubles, my fears, my doubts, my, my hurts. Uh, as I said last week, we, we, it's good for us to name our pain, but it also helps our relationship with God. It's not just me personally. It does help my relationship with God. It's not that God needs to hear it, but it's kind of like my wife might know I'm, I had a bad day and there's some troubles at work or troubles with one of my kids or whatever. She might know that there's something weighing on my heart and she can already guess what it is. But it strengthens our relationship when I can just talk to her about it. I share from my heart. And that's what Jesus wants you and me and all of us to do. He wants us to open up our heart to him, even though he already knows what we're going through. He loves it when we share with him what's going on in the depths of our hearts. Just read the Psalms. All those those Psalms are constantly uh, having various men crying out to God uh, with with what's weighing down uh, on their hearts. Uh, So, Great, great question or great uh, comment there, Peel. Thank you for sharing that. But then Peel's the one that actually went on and asked. He said, "But my question is on the gospel reading for Palm Sunday today." Uh, he, so he must have sent this to me on Sunday, and he says, uh, "The portion is from Luke twenty three twenty eight through thirty one. What is Jesus referring to? What is this all about? This is the story of the women of Jerusalem, uh, and so that's what I want to start with here. What is this all about? Well." Uh, again, Peel, thank you for this question. I love getting into this topic. This is something I delve into in the No Greater Love book and video series as well, because because this is a commonly misunderstood passage. What is Jesus doing? It, it doesn't he doesn't seem to be so grateful for their their compassion and their sorrow over what is happening to him. But I, I want to put it in its proper context. When Jesus says, first of all, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. That language, do not weep. Jesus has used that language before in the Gospels. You read about this in Luke 7, verse 13, where uh, the widow of Nain, her her son is uh, 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 has died and everyone's mourning. And, and Jesus says, do not weep. Same thing with uh, Jairus' daughter. Uh, there's all these mourners, people, when Jairus' daughter dies in Luke chapter 8, verse 52. There's all these people mourning, and Jesus comes and he says, do not weep. In both cases, people are mourning over someone's death. And what does Jesus do in those two cases? He raises the people from the dead. So those that were mourning don't need to mourn because the one who is life himself, Jesus Christ, is going to bring them back to life. He's going to raise them from the dead. So I think when Jesus says to these women who are weeping for him, they're weeping that he's going to be killed here. He says, do not weep for me. In other words, don't weep. The one who can raise people from the dead is capable of raising himself from the dead. Uh, I will be risen on the third day. So that's, that's kind of what he's alluding to there. But then he goes on to say, but weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. I think this is the heart of this whole dramatic scene. This is all about Jesus giving a prophecy about what's going to happen within one generation, one generation in Jerusalem. You see, these women have little children. Those children are going to grow up and they're going to be the adults in the next generation. And what's going to happen in that next generation, exactly 40 years after this scene, uh, 40 years is a generation for the for the biblical worldview. So Jesus is, is giving a prophecy about what these children are going to do when they grow up. In, uh, in the period leading up to 70 AD, the Jewish people in Jerusalem are going to rise up in rebellion against Rome. They're going to, they're going to fight off, try to fight off the Romans and the Romans will lay 
lay a siege on the city and there's going to be just great devastation and horrors and starvation and uh, and, and the, even some of the people killing themselves and even people eating dead bodies. It's just horrible what goes on with the Jews in Jerusalem in those, in those years of, of famine and, and, and the siege. And then eventually the Romans will come and destroy the city destroy the temple, burn it up, but burn the city down and destroy it and carry people off. And it's and then the temple is never rebuilt for 2000 years, ever since 70 AD, almost here, almost 2000 years, that temple has never been rebuilt. And Jesus is giving a prophecy about all that's going to happen. He says, don't weep for me. I'll take care of myself. If I raised others from the dead, uh, I'll be risen too. I can raise myself from the dead. But weep for yourselves and for your children. Jesus is actually these are there's they're harsh words. They're, 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 it's stern. It, it's it's dark. It's it, but but I think there's an element of compassion here. Jesus is, is saying, "Don't worry about me. I'm worried about you, moms. You daughters of Jerusalem. You mothers are going to have your hearts broken when you see what happens to your city and to your children in the events leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. Your children will rise." up against Rome and they're going to be destroyed. They're going to suffer so much. And that's why she goes on to, he goes on to say, blessed are the barren. Normally barrenness is not considered a blessing in the Old Testament. You want to have a lot of children, but in this case, wow, if you actually don't have kids now, you will be spared the intense suffering that these mothers will face when they watch their children be so harshly treated by the Romans. And they says that in that day, people will say, fall on us, like to the hills and to the mountains. That's a prophecy from the Hosea uh, of other cities that were being destroyed, that people will say, fall on us to the mountains. I'd rather fall, you know, have mountain fall on me than deal with the Assyrians crushing my city. <laughs> so that that's uh, an allusion to that. And the, I think the, the final line is the most interesting, where he says, if this is what they do when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? What's he talking about, green and dry wood here? Well, think about this. Green wood is moist. Green wood is not good for a fire. It'll resist fire longer. But dry wood will just burn up really quickly. Uh, And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, if this is what they, the Romans, do when the wood is green, imagine what they're going to do when the wood is dry. Jesus is saying, I'm like green wood. I'm innocent. I'm not really a revolutionary. I'm not someone who rises up against Rome. Uh, I'm not a real rebel, a real threat to Caesar. I'm innocent. If this is what they do to me when the wood, you know, green, I'm like green wood. I'm innocent. I'm not worthy to be burned up or crucified. Imagine what they will do when the wood is dry. In other words, imagine what the Romans will do when they face a real revolutionary, a real rebel, a whole team of them in Jerusalem. They're going to burn the city to the ground like dry wood, is, is the image, the metaphor that's being used there. So, uh, Pio, thank you for that excellent question. Uh, and that, I love unpacking this mysterious scene. Uh, when you understand the background, you see Jesus is actually being very compassionate. So let's think about that when uh, we, we contemplate the, the Stations of the Cross in this scene on Good Friday. All right, another question coming in. This is from uh, Doug and Susan. Uh, Doug and Susan it emailed me and said, thank you for the best start to Holy Week ever. <laughs> My husband and I are living on the road and we use the No Greater Love video series for our Lenten study. Uh, I think it's the video series here. They didn't specify. Maybe it's the book. But in any case, she said, uh, they say, simply amazing Palm Sunday. It brought everything to life. You know, that was my real hope is that with this book or the video study that 
When people would get to Palm Sunday, they'd get to Good Friday, they hear the passion narrative, they would hear it like never before. We go through those passion narratives. We always say, you know, crucify him, crucify him. We participated, and it's moving, and it's sad. But I, I, do we really understand what all these words mean? Do we understand what's really going on step by step? Can you really walk with Jesus and really enter into what he's going through step by step from Gethsemane all the way to the cross? That's what we really wanted to do. So thank you, Doug and, and Susan, for, for sending that feedback. I'm so grateful. Uh, and I've been blessed to meet many people from around the country at my speaking events this last Lent who've been using it. If you if you want, oh, I got some good news, by the way, some, some good news. Uh, Amazon ran out of copies early on in Lent, and it took them forever to restock. Uh, but Amazon now has the book back in stock as of last week. People have been telling me that they've been able to get online. You can order it. You can get it in a day or two, so you can have it in time for the Triduum here, for Holy Thursday, for your meditations on Good Friday. So go to Amazon.com, and you can get the book, No Greater Love, if you're interested. Or if you want to watch the videos, you can order the DVDs and, and get them, you know, but you can also watch them online right away. So you can go to ascensionpress.com and you can watch the videos, No Greater Love, where we filmed in Jerusalem from Gethsemane all the way to Calvary and all of the places where Christ's passion un, uh, unfolded. And that's I think that's a great thing, especially for families. I know that's one thing I want to do with my kids. They've seen Daddy and some pictures from the Holy Land, but I want to actually show them some of the actual images from the, the Christ's passion. So they can visualize uh, where all these events took place when when we're thinking about Christ's passion this coming these coming days. All right, one last question here uh, coming in here. This one uh, comes from Blythe in California. Blythe said, "Thank you for all your dedication in all things Catholic. I always look forward to your talks and learn so much from the podcast. Your recent podcast on Behold Your Mother was very meaningful and moving." As a Catholic, I've been blessed with the knowledge of our relationship with Mary. However, I think recently I've taken this for granted and not placing much focus in my devotion and honor to Mary. Your talk on the podcast reminded me of this great gift to us by God himself and the importance and reverence due to our Heavenly Mother. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that, Blythe. And let's keep that in mind on Good Friday. Let's remember in the midst of all the darkness and all the suffering, just, just look out for how Jesus is always thinking of others on the cross. Isn't it amazing? You know, he's forgiving the the people's sins who are executing him. He's thinking of the good thief and giving him paradise. And he's thinking of all of us, giving us the gift of Mary, his mother, to be our spiritual mother. When he says, behold your mother. So much there. Let's conclude. And I, I'm going to go brief here because there's three last words. They're short. They're the shortest ones. I think we can get right to the point here to have a really meaningful conclusion to this series and, and, and really, uh, hopefully, really helping you enter in in a, in a prayerful, meditative way uh, to the to the feasts that we're about to celebrate here, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and eventually the Easter Vigil. So last three words, I thirst, it is finished, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, let's talk about these. First of all, I thirst. I, I want to do a whole podcast down the road on this because this is so dear to me, these lines, because Mother Teresa, who's one of my favorite saints, really reflected on this a lot. I want to, I'll just mention one little thing from her, but let's put this all in context. When Jesus first got to Calvary, he was offered wine mixed with myrrh, and that was used to deaden pain. That's what you would typically do is give a uh, someone who's dying, someone who's being executed. You might give them wine mixed with myrrh, uh, which would, would which would help alleviate pain. 
but Jesus refuses that. Do you remember that? Jesus says, no, I don't want that. So that first offering of wine when he first gets there, he doesn't want that. And I think that's because he wants to take on all of the suffering uh, and, 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 and experience it all. As, as he wants to drink from the cup of suffering to the very last drop. I also think he wants to remain conscious. conscious. He doesn't want to start falling asleep or... Uh, you know, not being aware of what's going on because to the very end, he's going to remain teaching. He's going to remain thinking of us, evangelizing. So he wants to keep his wits about him. But why now? Why at the very end does he suddenly say, okay, I want something to drink? Why is he willing to do this? He finally says, I thirst. And they give him this sour wine, this wine that's become vinegary. Uh, and I think that, you know, on one hand, it, it reminds us, you know, of uh, Posca, which was the wine vinegar diluted with a little bit of water that many soldiers or travelers would have on hand. And it's likely maybe the soldiers had some of this while they were waiting there on Good Friday. But I think it brings to mind a prophecy from Psalm 69, verse 21. For my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Uh, so uh, I think it's, a, it's, it's another one of those fulfillments from the Old Testament. But for us practically, those words, I thirst. Here's how I want you to understand it. So you, it's important to know that old that historical background, but think of Jesus looking at you today and saying, I thirst. Right before he dies, he says, I thirst. Now, what do these words mean? As a kid, I used to think this was about, oh, Jesus thirsting for souls. That's what I was taught in my Catholic school. And I think that's true. Jesus is thirsting for souls. But for me, I kind of looked at it in a more abstract sense, a general sense, like Jesus is thirsting for souls out there in the world. Mother Teresa made this very personal. This isn't just like she, Jesus thirsting for humanity in a general sense. No, Jesus is thirsting for each individual soul. So picture Jesus looking you in the eye and saying, Bob, I thirst. Sarah, I thirst. Lisa, I thirst. Just whatever your name is, put your name before these words and picture Jesus speaking these words while he's on the cross and saying them to you. This changes the dynamic here. He's thirsting for you. That's what Mother Teresa said. He's thirsting for our attention. He's thirsting for our love. He's thirsting for us to surrender everything to him. And so this is a beautiful line for us to reflect on in these days. Uh, listen to this quote from Mother Teresa. Just put yourself in front of the tabernacle. Don't let anything disturb you. Hear your own name and I thirst. I thirst for purity. I thirst for poverty. I thirst for obedience. I thirst for wholehearted love. I thirst for that total surrender. Are we living a deeply contemplative life? He thirsts for that surrender from us. That's what Jesus is thirsting for. This Holy Week, will you give him your attention? Will you carve out extra time for him? He's thirsting for you. If you saw Jesus just dying of thirst and really wanting a drink, wouldn't you do everything you could to go get him something to drink? Well, he wants something more than water or posca or vinegary wine. <laughs> he wants your heart. He wants your attention. He wants your time. He wants your love. Give Jesus this extra time this week. And it may be a reminder just all throughout our lives. He's constantly saying, hey, slow down. I thirst. I thirst for you. I don't want all these works you're doing. I don't want all these elaborate things. I, I, I want your heart. I want your attention. Give me your soul. That's what Jesus is thirsting for. And then the next line, the next, uh, the, the second to last, the sixth of the last seven words of Christ on Calvary. He says, it is finished. And, and I used to think of that as, okay, it's, it's all over now. <laughs> but this is not like a game over moment. This isn't like, okay, it is finished, like the end of a movie where it says, you know, in the old movies, you know, 
fine at the end, you know, foreign films would have, you know, it is finished, fine, you know, the movie's done, you know, or like you're watching your favorite sports team and they ran out of time and they didn't have enough time to score more points and, and get back into the game. It, you know, the time is over, you know, it is finished. That's not what this is about. This is more, uh, it's not a moment of defeat. It's not a game over moment. It's not running out of time. It's a victory cry. In fact, it, 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 this language of it is finished is bringing, it's the idea of, of Christ is saying, it is bringing something to completion. Uh, so there, there's like, there's been something moving on. There's been some great plan at work, and that plan of the Father is now reached its climax. It is finished. The work is completed now. That's what this is about. So do you see the difference? It's not a game over moment. I ran out of time and I, I breathed my last. It's over. My life is done. No, Jesus is more like a, a celebration a victory saying everything the father sent me to do. I have accomplished now. It is consummated is how we used to translate it in Latin. Consummated S. Um, it is finished. What's finished? The work God gave to Jesus. You read about this in John 4.34, John 17.4. In both cases, he uses this exact same uh, Greek word to describe uh, the work the father gave him to do. He is coming to bring to completion. And now on Calvary, that work is completed. It is finished. Mission accomplished. That's what that. That's what he's saying. Last line here to reflect on. The last of the seven last words. Briefly, into your hands I commit my spirit. the The brief thought here is simply this: Jesus isn't just like dying and passively breathing his last. No, to the very end, he's actively surrendering himself. It reminds me of what he said earlier in his life. He said. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay it down of my own accord. No one takes my life from me. Jesus is saying he's he's not a passive victim here. He is freely choosing to give up his life. In an instant, he could have had the angels come and rescue him from Calvary, right? He's God. But he says, I surrender. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. He is actively entrusting his soul, his spirit to the Father. Uh, he, to the very end, he's actively laying down his life. Uh, so these are the seven last words. I hope you've enjoyed this series. If you want to learn more about this, check out my book. I have a chapter on each one of these seven last words at the end of my book. Uh, no Greater Love, A Biblical Walk Through Christ's Passion. Maybe it could enrich you this, this holy week. Uh, and if you have any questions on what is transpiring on Good Friday and Holy Thursday night. Anything as you go through the Holy Week liturgy, please send me your questions. Something may come up going, why do we do this in the liturgy? Why did Jesus say this? Or what did this really mean in the Bible? Uh, I want to hear from you. Send me your questions. You can always reach me at info.edwardsri at gmail.com. That's info at I'm sorry, info.edwardsree at gmail.com. You can always find me on my website, edwardsree.com. You can reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well. Please have a blessed triduum. I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. And let's pray for all the people in France. This is, I'm recording this on the day of the great tragedy of Notre Dame and the fire that was there. My wife and Beth and I went to Notre Dame on our honeymoon. It is one of the most spectacular churches in, uh, in the world. And while our faith is not in buildings, our faith is in Jesus. Nevertheless, some of these buildings like Notre Dame are incredible expressions of our Catholic faith. 
and it's, it's just so sad that we've we've lost something. We I know we, we haven't heard what caused the fire yet, and uh, I know there's hopes to rebuild it. We don't know what'll all happen here, but this this has been a, a great a great day of sorrow uh, in this week here. So let's pray for the church in France and just the church universal in this time lost, uh, and we'll remember this uh, throughout Holy Week as well. May God bless you. Please pray for me and my family. Blessed Triduum, and as they say in Italy, Buona Pasqua. May you have a blessed Easter. We'll see you on the other side in Easter week. God bless.